morning. My name's Alison and I'm going to uh, read to you our sermon reading for today, which comes from 2 Peter, starting at verse 11 through to the end, uh, and that completes our uh, reading of 2 Peter. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to, be li to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Pete Paul also wrote with you the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, friends, it's my privilege today to bring us to the end of our series in 2 Peter. And next week, I have the privilege of beginning our Christmas series. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Pete Stacey. It is great to be here. Uh, it's our usual practice as a church to work our way through various books of the Bible, uh, week after week, month after month, year after year. And by doing so, we explore the whole counsel of God. And uh, this year, we've journeyed through all of John's Gospel, in quite a bit of detail, 1 Timothy and now 2 Peter. And we've also done some topical uh, stopovers in books including Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Matthew, Romans, Ephesians, Jude, Revelation. It's quite a healthy diet, isn't it? Exciting when I look back over it. Uh, and I mention that because as we approach the end of the year, uh, it'll be great to spend time reflecting and to share with each other uh, how we have grown by God's grace this year. For me personally, about five months ago, I preached on 1 Timothy 4, and verses 4 and 5 really stood out to me and have been so helpful to me ever since. You can look it up later, I can share the story with you later if you'd like to hear it. Uh, but today we're diving into this passage, right at the end of 2 Peter. So let's ask God to continue his good work in our hearts as we do. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for giving us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of you. And for the great and precious promises you have fulfilled in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Please help us to not only listen and understand, but to remember and obey what you show us today, that we may live holy and godly lives to your praise and glory, until we see you face to face in your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever ignored an important warning sign? Perhaps something like this, beware of falling rocks. 
or good old slip, slop, slap. Who remembers the ads for that? You know, too much sun exposure in the middle hours of the day, not a good thing. Uh, all these ones, don't drink and drive. I googled that, and um, uh, the the UK ones, drink, drive, die. So so subtle. <laughs> About twenty years ago, I ignored this one. <laughs> I was living in Port Macquarie and I'd been invited to speak in a little church in Warhope about 15 kilometres away. Now we'd had a lot of rain, like at the moment, and the river was rising, so I left early to make sure I could get there. Uh, I needed to get across the flat and there was this sign. No worries, I knew exactly where the road was. <laughs> so off I went and um, water sort of building up at the front of the grill and eventually I thought, nah, this is not a good idea. So in the next slight rise, I pulled off and parked the car high up on the, the bank at the side of the grass. And uh, then there was a coach coming across. So I waved them down, jumped, they let me on, my nice them, jumped on, got across, uh, spent the time with the, the congregation out there, went back to someone's place for lunch. <laughs> Get this, we even had a boat ride over their back paddock, over the fence, through the bushland next door. It was awesome in this little dinghy. And, um, didn't even think about the car. Uh, they took me back by another road, and well, you could still see the roof. Oh. <laughs> Poor little Corolla, never fully recovered. Oh dear. In last week's passage, Peter finished with a clear warning. Verse 10 said this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare really reminiscent of that sheep and goats passage that was read out earlier. And as we, uh, we come to the beginning of today's passage, right near the end of the letter, he asks a vital question in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It's a good question. How would you answer it? Uh, last week we were encouraged to live as prepared people. Perhaps in the light of Jesus' return, the thing that's uppermost in your mind is sharing the gospel with your unsaved family and friends. Or maybe you know that you need to reconcile a broken relationship. Perhaps it's things like caring for the vulnerable, giving to the poor, visiting the sick or in prison. They're, they're all good doing things. But Peter takes us deeper. What kind of people ought you to be? It's the inside, the heart, that matters most. If the heart is right, then the words and the attitudes and the actions will flow from that. For the external things, they provide a window to our hearts. So as Peter closes this letter, he answers his own question with three characteristics that shape the lives of all those who follow Jesus. Number one, we are to look forward. Secondly, be on your guard. And thirdly, grow. In fact, these three uh, items form a good summary of the whole letter, really. Uh, so let's consider each of them in turn. Looking forward. Three times in the next three verses, Peter says we are to be looking forward. Live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
That future perspective changes the way we live in the present. And then he says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. 20 years ago, I got caught in a flood near Warhol. But God says a day is coming when all of creation will be caught in a consuming, destroying, refining fire. In fact, six times in this very short chapter, he mentions that word destruction. It hardly sounds like something to look forward to. But instead of being paralysed with terror, Peter says followers of, of Jesus are to be looking forward to this day. Why? Verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Friends, you don't need me to remind you that we live in a world fractured by sin and suffering and pain and struggle and death. But Peter encourages us to look forward because all of those things will pass away. God has promised an eternal home in the new heaven and earth for all who trust in Jesus. Peter knows his own earthly life is nearly done. And so he urges others to follow Jesus and persevere in faith, hoping that they might enjoy and experience the hope in Christ that has shaped his own life. As he said in chapter 1, we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And did you notice at the end of verse 12, he's mentioned there that we can actually speed the coming of the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. Now, he doesn't actually spell it out, but I think he's referring to speaking the good news about Jesus with those who don't yet believe. He's already mentioned that God's patience means salvation, not wanting anyone to be lost. And that's a reason for the delay. He's sort of, why has it been so long? before Jesus comes back. So we can speed the day of the Lord by sharing our faith. The Apostle Paul says a similar thing in Romans 11. Another way we can speed the day of the Lord is by praying. I love that simple, wonderful prayer at the end of the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus himself taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the ultimate answer to that prayer is his return, where God's will will be perfectly done on earth. That's why Peter finishes this letter, to him be glory both now and forever, keeping our eyes on that future perspective changes the way we live in the present. So friends, look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. Secondly, Peter says, be on your guard. Therefore, dear friends, verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of, lawless, of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Now, all of chapter 2 is devoted to the problem of false teachers 
Uh, back when we did 1 Timothy uh, a little earlier in the year, it popped up all over the place as well. In fact, warnings about false teachers and their dangerous doctrines is one of the most common themes in the entire New Testament letters. It comes up everywhere. These false teachers that Peter was talking about uh, were saying that oh, Jesus isn't coming back. The false teachers were saying there's no final judgment. The false teachers were encouraging people to indulge the sinful nature. Peter summed them up like this, back in chapter 2. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Friends, this is one of the reasons Peter wrote his letters. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter and, and others penned the words of the New Testament so that we could read the Word of God and know the mind of God and obey the will of God and receive the promises of God. We put ourselves in great danger when we take it for granted or ignore it. But even with the Scriptures... Peter reminds us that there are some things that are hard to understand. I like how he points to Paul's writings at that point. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder, you know, I wonder if Paul, before he died, ever got to read this letter. <laughs> oh, why are you saying that about my letters, Peter? <laughs> he warns, yeah, some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So friends, I just want to share three tips to help us be on our guard. Number one, know what the Bible says. Know the main message, the central truth. Know the gospel. Yeah, the, the whole Old Testament, we'll talk more about this next week, the whole Old Testament points us forward to Jesus. And the gospels tell about his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And then the rest of the New Testament points us back to Jesus so that we can understand exactly what he's done for us and we can enjoy the hope that he brings. God's Big Picture, great little book. Uh, it's an excellent book that um, just helps us understand the major themes and the overall purpose of the Bible. Come in it to be a good Christmas gift. Number two, listen to people who major on the majors and minor on the minors of biblical truth. My job is never to make up a message for Sunday, but simply to explain and try and apply the Holy Spirit-inspired message that is already here in the Word of God. So I encourage people to have a Bible open as they hear anyone up the front speaking from it. Third point, be very wary, or don't listen, to people who major on the minors or minor on the majors. It all sounds very musical, but it's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, if a preacher or a church never talks about Jesus or salvation or sin, then don't stay there. Or if someone spends all their time and attention on one or two verses and they make big claims that are not obvious in the Bible verse, be wary. This often happens with biblical prophecies. It's been a big theme in 2 Peter. People try and work out exact details of where and when and all this sort of thing. 
in terms of Jesus' return. Friends, the purpose of prophetic truth is not speculation, but motivation. Peter wants to see people transformed, not just informed, or asking curious questions without applying faith. And that leads us to the third and final point for today. In the words of verse 18, Peter wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Notice that it doesn't say anything about grace growing. Instead, we're told to grow in grace. There's a vast difference between grace growing and our growing in grace. Grace, God's grace, never increases because it's already infinite. So it can't be more. It's everlasting, so it can't be extended. And because it's from God, it can never be less than the perfect grace it already is. Theologians sometimes use this word sufficient about God's grace. God has given us His grace, enough grace to perfectly do the job. God's grace provides us with everything we need for salvation. And everything we need for a godly life. Remember a few weeks ago? That's how this little letter began. God's grace provides us with everything we need for salvation. If you look at the screen, that's, that's Jesus, our Saviour. And with everything we need for a godly life. That's Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our Saviour, our Rescuer. Without Jesus, we are without hope and lost for eternity. But our spiritual life began when we understood His grace to us in Christ and accepted the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that He offers. But that's just the beginning, isn't it? That's not the end. That's just the beginning. Jesus is also Lord of our lives. He knows and understands life better than we do. He's the rightful ruler of our day-to-day -day attitudes and activities. What a wonderful Lord he is. So loving, kind and wise. A growing knowledge of him through his word and learning to obey all he shows us. And an awareness of his gracious presence in our lives enables us to grow spiritually. And remember, a few weeks ago, where there is true life, there will always be growth. Yesterday, I, I rode nearly 100 kilometres with Chris Gerben in the Southern Highlands. I like to see Because there's been so much water, uh, rain, there's just water flying all over the place. Along many of the creeks, there's these magnificent trees. Yeah, this example. Um, it reminded me of Psalm 1 verse 3, which describes the person with a growing relationship with God this way. That person is like a tree planted by streams of, of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God's grace doesn't grow. It's already full and perfect. But Peter tells us to grow in God's grace. We are in the fertile soil of his perfect grace. We couldn't be in a better place. So let us grow. That's what Peter says in verse 11. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy 
and godly lives, allowing God's character to shape ours. Again in verse 14 he says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Holy, godly, spotless, blameless, at peace with Him. It's quite a list, isn't it? It's a short description of a changed life. Of a person who by God's grace and power is being transformed day by day to be more like Jesus. As we seek to be transformed, as we see God's gracious work in our hearts, it gets quite exciting. And Peter helps us avoid the sin of pride by setting the compass of our hearts with his final words. To him be the glory, both now and forever. And that, friends, brings us to the end of Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired contribution to the New Testament. As I conclude, I just want to say two things. Firstly, they do say that in your conclusion you should never introduce a new idea. I'm going to just break the rules here because I think it's helpful. Uh, I just want to say this. Nowhere in Peter's two letters or in any of his words recorded elsewhere in the New Testament does he ever support or even mention the central doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church even though they look to him as their first hope. There's nothing about his or, or the Pope's supremacy, nothing about succession of Popes, not a word supporting the infallibility of himself or any you know, successors. In fact, he emphasises the exact opposite of that, so aware of his own failures. There's nothing about purgatory or penance or pilgrimages, power of the keys, indulgences, extreme unction, masses, prayers for the dead or praying to Mary or the saints, and nothing about transubstantiation, the central teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, some of you have come from that background, you, you're very familiar with these things. I say all of this because there, there are many Catholics in our community, and many of them are lovely people with a sincere faith. But that faith is built on so many ideas that are simply not contained in the Bible. Friends, they need to hear the gospel and receive the grace of God, be liberated from so many unbiblical ideas. Friends, this is God's word that we've looked at today. And we've been reminded to look forward to the return of Christ and to let that reality shape our daily lives. We've been reminded to be on our guard against false teaching so that our faith is not endangered. And we've been reminded to grow, to be proactive in the health and vitality of our own spiritual life, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.